you would please turn in your copy of God's Word uh, to uh, Leviticus, the book of Leviticus. We are continuing our sermon series through the book of Leviticus, uh, and we find ourselves this morning in Leviticus 5, and we will be reading from uh, verse 14 of Leviticus 5 uh, through chapter 6, verse 7. Uh, We have been looking at the uh, different sacrifices uh, that are found uh, in Leviticus within the first six chapters. Uh, we noted that there are five uh, sacrifices. Uh, we saw the burnt offering. Uh, we saw the grain offerings, uh, the peace offerings. Uh, we spent three weeks with the sin offerings. And today we will close off uh, the study of those five primary sacrifices in the book of Leviticus with Uh, the guilt offering. Uh, So with that introduction out of the way, let us now give attention to the reading of God's holy and inspired word. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally in any of the holy things of the Lord, He shall bring to the Lord as his compensation a ram without blemish out of the flock, valued in silver shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, for a guilt offering. He shall also make restitution for what he has done amiss in the holy thing, and shall add a fifth to it and give it to the priest. And the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering, and he shall be forgiven." If anyone sins, doing any one of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, though he did not know it, then realizes his guilt, he shall bear his iniquity. He shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish out of the flock, or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the mistake that he made unintentionally, and he shall be forgiven." It is a guilt offering. He has indeed incurred guilt before the Lord. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security or through robbery, or if he has oppressed his neighbor or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely, in any of all the things that people do and sin thereby, If he has sinned and has realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression or the deposit that was committed to him or the lost thing that he found or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he he shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it and give it to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. And he shall bring to the priest As his compensation to the Lord, a ram without blemish out of the flock, or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do, and thereby become guilty. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Would you bow your heads with me in a word of prayer? Oh, Father, we see here that there is to be a penalty 
paid for our sin so that your law might be honored, so that you and your holy character, which is set forth in your holy law, might be honored and exalted and glorified. No, Father, as we here fall under the conviction of our own sin and how we have dishonored your holy law, might our eyes be drawn to the one who has paid the penalty for us, even Jesus Christ, our Lord. Impress upon us your Son, our Lord and Savior, afresh here this morning as we sit under your word, both read and proclaimed. Do this, we pray, for we ask it in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If one were to come up with a set of laws and rules in whatever context that might be, one of the things that would inevitably have to be a part of those laws and rules are penalties. Certain penalties that are handed down due to violations of whatever law it is that you have concocted. Uh, Within our home, for instance, uh, if either Ben or Brayden do something to the other that is against the law of our home, uh, they are yes to say sorry to the one that they have wronged, but there is also a penalty, a consequence to their violation of mommy and daddy's law. And the consequences, and the consequence or the penalty uh, is there so that they might know to respect and honor the law of the household. If either Ben or Braden knew that all they had to do after they swatted the other one was say, I'm sorry, I'm sure we'd have many bruises within our home. And the law would not be honored. Consider sporting events and the way the law works in many sporting events. We have many football fans here this morning. Uh, You know, if, uh, say, for instance, a running back runs for 30 yards, but one of his linemen is caught holding, uh, that running back doesn't just go back to the line of scrimmage and get to start all over again, but he goes back not just 30 yards, he goes back 40 yards, because there's a penalty, a 10-yard penalty that uh, the team uh, must meet uh, because uh, holding has taken place with the lineman. And of course, uh, the cameraman zeroes in on that lineman so that you, the fan, know exactly who to be angry with. Uh, in hockey, I don't think there's too many hockey fans here. I wasn't a hockey fan until I met my wife. Uh, her family's a big hockey fan, and they have uh, gotten me into hockey. But in hockey, they literally have a penalty box. It's this little box of shame for anyone that breaks the law of hockey and is caught caught violating the rules of hockey. And he goes and he in, he goes into this little box of shame, this penalty box, and his team has uh, is uh, one player less uh, for two minutes the whole time that person that committed the penalty is in the penalty box. And what's interesting, when you watch hockey, very rarely will you see a guy be in that penalty box more than once. If he is, he's probably going to get chewed out by his coach and be told to sit down. You're not honoring the laws of this sport. But most times than not, the person who has a penalty in hockey learns their lesson. They learn to respect the laws of the game for the rest of the time. 
And really, that in many ways is what penalties do. They ensure respect for law. Laws don't simply say, you make a mistake, you can have a do-over. If they did that, no one would respect them. Rather, they say, you break the law and you pay the consequences because the law is to be respected and honored. And that, in many ways, is what we see here with the guilt offering penalties imposed for breaking God's holy law in order to establish and solidify the honor and respect of God's holy law and God's holy character that is set forth in his law. We see it both in verse 16 of chapter 5 and verse 5 of chapter 6, that the offender is not only to pay back what he owes, but he is to add a fifth to that payment as well. In other words, there is a penalty to be paid because God's law has been broken and there is to be respect and honor before God's law and God's holy character expressed therein. And what I want to do this morning is look at the three different reasons that uh, the guilt offering lays out for us for why penalties are handed out here in the guilt offering. Uh, you know, I love three-point sermons, and every now and then the passage just hands me one. Uh, this sermon is pretty much laid out as a three-point sermon. Uh, first, there is a penalty for offending the holy things, chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. Second, there is a penalty for unknown offenses, uh, verse 17 through 19 of chapter 5. And then third, there is a penalty for offenses against neighbor, chapter 6, verse 1 through 6. So first, penalty for offenses against the holy things, chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. In verse 15, uh, we see that the Lord speaks of sins against the holy things of the Lord. Now, this word for holy things is used in Leviticus 22, and in Leviticus 22, it speaks of various food items that have been designated and dedicated to the Lord within the tabernacle. And these food items, as we will see when we get to Leviticus 22, were to only be eaten by the priests, the Levitical priesthood, that was charged for guarding and caring for the tabernacle and the priesthood's household. Uh, and as Leviticus 22 verse 14 will show, uh, lay people uh, would sometimes unintentionally eat those items that were specifically for the priests and their households. Uh, that is probably why in our passage here in chapter 5 verse 16, they are to give restitution to the priest themselves. More than likely what has taken place here is a lay person has unintentionally eaten the food that was dedicated to the priest themselves. Now, chapter 27 will define holy things more broadly as anything that is dedicated uh, to the Lord, whether it be animals, houses, land, or tithes. Uh, but uh, the Israelite, basically, in sinning against the holy things, uh, would treat God's holy things like common everyday items rather than the holy property of God that they were dedicated to. And it was a serious sin because in profaning the holy things of God, it was akin 
to Israel profaning God himself. Consider if you had a guest in your house and that guest stole something from your property. That person hasn't just sinned against your property. You would be offended yourself. That guest has sinned against you. And so to profane the holy things, the things of God's household, was to profane the holiness of God himself. And in response, when this guilt is realized, the sinner is to bring a ram without blemish to the sanctuary, and the ram was to be of the proper value in silver. Really, I think what we could see here is that it is to be the current going rate at the time. Now, in 2 Kings uh, chapter 12, verse 16, uh, it seems to indicate that money would be given to the priests uh, so that the sinner would buy the ram from the priests according to the sanctuary shekel. Uh, so apparently it seems from 2 Kings 12 and here in Leviticus 5, there was a, uh, they had their own currency for the sanctuary, and that was uh, to be equivalent to whatever uh, the ram cost. And more than likely, according to 2 Kings 12, they would buy that ram from the priests themselves according to the currency of the sanctuary. Now, it's worth noting that within Israel, the ram was an extremely valuable animal in the Israelite community. Uh, It was right up there with the bull, if not more valuable. Uh, And there was, as we see here, uh, added on to sacrificing this valuable animal of a ram, a 20% penalty, uh, interest that is added on to the restoration of the property. So this was, in many ways, a costly penalty. A sacrifice of a ram itself would be costly enough, but adding 20% on to the restitution uh, makes this a very costly penalty. Yet, yet notice that it is an unintentional sin. There is a costly penalty for an unintentional sin. Now, we have seen this phrase already with the sin offering, the unintentional nature of sin, yet there is a penalty and a costly sacrifice that must be rendered. I think what this is doing is showing the Israelites that they are to know and are responsible for knowing the laws of God. They are responsible for being careful in following God's revealed will. And I think it's important that we see this unintentional sin not so much as a case of, I didn't know any better, but really as a case of carelessness. If we could borrow from legal jargon, a case of negligence. We have negligent laws within this country uh, that will penalize people who unintentionally cause harm to others. And a phrase that is often thrown around in negligent cases is a phrase called uh, the duty of care, the duty of care, where the individual has a legal obligation to adhere to a standard of reasonable care while performing any acts that could foreseeably harm others. In other words, the person is just careless, and the carelessness leads to the injury of others. Well, the same goes with God's holy law. If you are careless with it and you unintentionally break it, you're not innocent. 
You're negligent. You're careless. We have a duty of care before God and his word. With my oldest son, uh, he's our son, at least at this point in his life. He's three, year old, three years old, and uh, he often has his head in the clouds. He's singing songs to himself, and many times he will just not realize the big, gigantic wall that is in front of him. And he's singing, and he's got his head in the clouds, and he runs smack dab into that wall. And he starts crying, and he does all the things three-year-olds do, and they run into walls. Well, I don't go up to Ben and say, you know, Ben, I'm so sorry, buddy. If only those walls had mouths to speak and warn you that you were about to run into them. No, I sit him on my knee, and I console him. Don't think I'm a monster here, but I console my three-year-old. But I say to him, Ben, that's why you've got to pay attention. Really, Ben, that's your own fault that you've run into that wall. Now, let's be honest. Aren't we so often like my three-year-old son when it comes to our relationship with the Bible? We have our heads in the clouds, our minds are distracted by so many things, and we don't carefully search God's word. And what ends, up hurting, what ends up happening oftentimes is we get hurt. And oftentimes our response is to find somebody to sort of claim our innocence, to make an excuse for us, when in reality, all we are doing is being guilty of negligence, of carelessness. What the guilt offering teaches us is that we are to know God's word, and its commandments. There is a responsibility laid upon us to be careful in how we read God's word so that we would not fall prey to unintentional sins. This costly penalty is highlighting for Israel and it is highlighting for us today that we are to search God's word diligently and be careful that we follow it, what our confession calls our rule of life, faith, and practice. So the unintentional sin, yet a costly penalty added to it, shows us that we are not to be negligent. We are to search the word carefully. Second, penalty for offenses unknown, verse 17 through 19 of chapter 5. Uh, verse uh, 17 says, If anyone sins, doing any of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, though he did not know it, then realize this is guilt. He shall bear his iniquity. Now, what is being described here is not just an unintentional sin, such as what we just previously dealt with in the holy things, uh, but an offense to God's law that is unknown an offense to God's law that is unknown. And the sinner starts to sort of feel the consequences of his sin. Some sort of misfortune pops up in his life, or he has his conscience pricked, and he, he sees that there's some sort of sin in his life, and he doesn't know what that sin is, and he feels the guilt in some way. Really, verse 17b could really be paraphr paraphrased as this. 
and he does not know what he has done, but he suffers guilt's consequences and bears his punishment. He suffers guilt's consequences and bears his punishment. There's some sort of punishment in the person's life due to sin, but they just don't know exactly what it is that they have done. I think this explains why there is no repayment here, because the sinner doesn't know what the repayment should be. Nevertheless, he does offer a ram as an atonement for sin. This is in many ways why we are not only to confess particular sins within our life, but we are to confess sins generally. We are to confess sins generally. Consider the Lord's prayer. Forgive us our debts, period. Psalm 19, verse 12, who can discern his heirs? Declare me innocent from hidden fault. Really, I think the individual that is being described here in Leviticus 5 is much like David in Psalm 32 when David, weighed down by sin, says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. David there in Psalm 32 is feeling the weight of, Of his sin. And the sin is not specified for us in the psalm. It's written for us generally as sinners who from time to time just feel the crushing weight and load of sin. It weighs heavy on us. And we might not be able to pinpoint exactly what it is, but sin just in general, debts, period weigh heavy on us. I ask you today, brothers and sisters, is that you today? Perhaps there's a distance between you and God this morning. Your relationship with the Lord has just sort of gone cold. And you can't pinpoint any egregious offense. You can't pinpoint anything that you specifically have done. There's nothing particularly heinous in your habitual life. I've known people that will spend years crying out to God, Lord, I'm good. I haven't done anything particularly heinous. I haven't done anything egregious. Why do I feel the weight of your displeasure? Pour out your blessings upon me. And they feel that heavy weight of God's displeasure, but they can't pinpoint the sin that might be bringing that displeasure to them. And so they grow bitter and angry and distant from the Lord because they are unable to say, forgive me my debts. Forgive me my transgressions. I am, as the tax collector says, the sinner. David goes on to say in Psalm 32, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And he ends the psalm, that psalm that starts so gloomy. He ends that psalm by saying, be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. 
The psalm that begins with groaning and sadness ends with gladness and joy. And what is it that takes place in the interval? What is the reason for the transition? It is his confession of sin. Has your relationship with the Lord grown cold and you just can't pinpoint why? It is good for the soul, brothers and sisters, to come before a gracious and merciful God and confess your sin. And he hears you and he turns your sadness into gladness, your sorrow into joy. Third and finally, penalties for offenses against neighbor. Penalty for offenses against neighbor. Chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. In chapter 6, 1 through 7, what is laid out are particular offenses done against a neighbor. Uh, Verse 2 through 3 lays out the different ways of of wronging a neighbor. Uh, It speaks really of four ways a sinner can sin against a neighbor or defraud a neighbor. First, by taking something that had been entrusted to them. Uh, For example, a deposit or pledge, uh, perhaps given to them for safekeeping, but they never ended up giving it back, that which was lended to them. Uh, Second, it speaks of robbery, forcefully taking something that is not theirs. A third, withholding that which belongs to another. Uh, For example, cheating others by not giving them their due wages. Uh, You have this sin laid out in Deuteronomy 24, for example. Uh, someone who hires a worker and does not fairly or fairly uh, uh, compensate that worker. Uh, and then fourth, finding lost property and lying about it, basically stealing the item uh, from the individual, from its rightful owner. Uh, all of these sins require what the sins against the holy things required, a repayment to the injured person plus 20% and a ram sacrificed as a guilt offering Uh, to the Lord. Now, I think it's worth noting uh, what the 20% penalty is drawing the Israelites' attention to. It is meant to show true contrition and sorrow and repentance in the sins against a neighbor. It's not merely, I'm sorry, here's your money back, but rather I have wronged you and sinned against you. And in sinning, I have broken faith with the Lord. I have breached his covenant, and I have broken your trust. We might say the repayment says, I'm sorry. The 20% add-on says, I'm guilty. And that is, I really think, the distinct difference between godly contrition and sorrow and worldly contrition and sorrow. Worldly contrition ends with, I'm sorry. Godly contrition ends with, I'm guilty. It says, I'm not merely sorry for what I've done, but I'm guilty before God and his law concerning you. And I seek now to display the fruit of repentance toward you. The injured party is not merely to see sorrow from the offender, but they are to see godly sorrow from the offender. Not merely, I'm sorry, but I am guilty concerning you before God's law. One last thing I want us to see here 
Did you notice what word was missing here in verse 1 through 7? Did you catch it? What word was glaringly missing? It is the word unintentional. It's really been a constant refrain all the way from chapter 4 through the sin offering into the guilt offering. That word, that constant repeated word, unintentional sin. But it's missing here in verses 1 through 7. These are not sins done in ignorance or carelessness or negligence. These are sins done intentionally with evil desires and intentions at the outset. I wonder if you're like me as you've been going through these sins these past few weeks and that word unintentional has haunted you. You say to yourself, there is a whole lot of sin I have committed knowing full well what it is I was doing. Is all lost for me? Am I outside any hope of forgiveness? Perhaps that's why you fail to come to the Lord today. Perhaps that's why you fail to confess your sin and grow in your relationship with the Lord because you say, I've sinned with evil intent. I know that sin, and when I did it, I knew full well what I was doing is all lost for me. Is God's ears shut up to me? Because I sinned unintentionally, or intentionally, against the Lord. Well, notice verse 7. It is that same refrain we get with the previous two penalties. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. And he shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do and thereby become guilty. There is forgiveness, brothers and sisters, for both your unintentional and intentional sins in the blood of Christ, who is our atoning sacrifice. Because what Christ does is he does not only pay back to God full obedience to the law that we failed to render, but he pays the penalty for our sin on the cross, thus restoring and establishing once again the honor and character of God. In Christ's cross and all those who are found in him, the law of God has been honored, exalted, and the character of God has been established. And God is able to look down on us now who cling to Jesus Christ by faith and say, you are forgiven of all the guilt and the sins that you commit, both intentional and unintentional, because the penalty for our sin has been paid in full in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we marvel at the fact that here we read in this passage that there was to be penalties handed down for your old covenant people and that this long process of sacrifice of ram and, and money and all the rest was to be gone through. And, oh, Lord, how we are to bask in the glories of the new covenant, that in Jesus Christ, our penalty has been paid in full. 
and if we have sinned against you with evil intentions, fully fully aware of what we have done, if there be anyone here in this room who has shut up his lips before you in confession because they say there is no way the Lord's ears are open to me, might they see that in Christ Jesus and his cross, the penalty for both our intentional and unintentional sins has been paid in full and restore to us the joy of your salvation that we might walk before you honoring and respecting your holy law and upholding your character that is set forth in it. Do this, we pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit, for it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.